Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome to another week, everybody. Hope everybody had a great Easter. I've got a few headlines I want to read here on some various topics. I have uh, a larger point here that I that I certainly want to go over, and this was sent to me by Jesse James from the Dangerous Info Podcast, and it really is interesting. It gets into another hidden element although it might not be hidden to a great number of people, but I was certainly unaware of this, that high schools are now being politicized to the point of actually having political parties associate with particular high schools, or certainly having these political parties infiltrate these high schools, and then, again, do their best to indoctrinate as many students and certainly staff members as humanly possible, and then having them be organized within those K-12 environments to then sort of carry out the mission of whatever political party they're associating with. And again, this was not something that existed when I was in school. This wasn't something that existed when I was a school teacher. I don't recall there ever being, again, what is highlighted here as the high school Democrats of America, which again is a Democrat-led organization that does exist all over the United States in countless schools, and it's remarkably alarming. And uh, this, again, is more proof and just another reason why these environments do not care about real education. They only care about politicizing everything that they possibly can and the full-blown indoctrination of the people who work there and the people who attend. So I want to get into that a little bit later. Uh, there's a little update on the Crumbly case I do want to mention, and then I want to finish on a strong note here regarding homeschooling. And there's another article here by WND.com that discusses specifically homeschooling and some of the more recent statistics regarding homeschooling, which, again, it's a fantastic thing. So here are uh, basically just a couple of headlines right off the top. Uh, last week, the Daily Mail had an article citing how Apparently, scientists are saying that the cure to heart attacks is going to be more mRNA technology and COVID vaccines. Again, you know, you can't really, (laughs) you just, you can't make up this stupidity. Uh, I don't, I really don't know what else to say. The the more shots there are, the, the more your heart is going to be healthy. Give me a break. The exact opposite is true, as most of us know. These are causing people to have massive heart attacks, including children, and then, of course, the normalization of how everything apparently causes a heart attack now. Uh, That's remarkably unfortunate, but again, it is the media, and they have to do whatever they can to cover up this massive genocide that's taking place. Uh, This next one comes from The Blaze, and again, this is a good thing, and it, uh, again, should also highlight a, a much larger problem here. When it comes to state governors, the Kentucky state legislator has overridden Andy Brashear's Kentucky's governor veto on transgender in sports play and uh, biological males participating in female sports just because they think that they're a female. So again, what this has highlighted, I think, can't be can't be stated enough. If the governor themselves is the one that is pushing this you know that that individual is bought and sold. They are blackmailed like nobody's business. And then if you have a state legislature that overrides it, that's a good thing for them, of course. And all it's doing is exposing the governor as basically being a pedophile. 
So again, I would, I would encourage people to take those hard lines that when, again, a governor or any politician is pushing these things, they are exposing themselves for who they actually are and how they, they want everything to be, again, this, this transhuman, transgender landscape forever. There's another story here that comes from the Gateway Pundit, and it's certainly jab-related, but it's, it's suicide-related as well. And, and I really do think that the two are connected, again, in, in certainly some hidden ways as well. But this is titled, uh, Numerous Student Deaths Puzzle St. Louis University and Washington University in St. Louis City. It says, since the fall semester began, there have been six student deaths and one resident physician who have died at St. Louis University and Washington University in St. Louis. At least four of the deaths were suicide. The rest have not been announced. One student was a swimmer, sailor, and Eagle, St- Eagle Scout from Kansas. The universities are puzzled by the number of deaths this year. Now, as many know, I've written about this particular subject at length over the course of a number of years, the business of student suicide. Uh, I've written about it in my books. I've I've written about it in in Substack articles. The number one cause of death among college students is suicide. But now we have more elements that are leading to this. For example, of course, the shots. The shots themselves are playing a massive role in cognitive decline. And this is one of those things, again, that is not being widely discussed and widely brought up. And I think one of the reasons why that's the case, of course, is because cognitive decline can be blamed on a million things. And it can be remarkably hard to detect. In particular, of course, after a person passes away, there's, n- there's no real indicator that the person was suffering from any kind of drug-induced mental decline. Um, lots of pressures associated with, of course, attending a college or a university. But let's take into account a number of these other variables, I think, that are all connected and certainly all play. If you recall, last fall, it was the very first time that regarding these shots in the college and university campuses, they decided to do away with any kind of a time frame, so to speak, that was an extended time, fr- time frame when it came to taking these shots. That if you were to go back a year, fr- a year ago, for example, in January of 2021, they were telling people that they wanted you to get two shots and they needed to be spread apart by a number of months, if not nine plus weeks. Well, just within the fall of 2021, they reversed all of that. And many colleges and universities, and I brought them up on previous episodes back when it was happening, but they were actually telling people, in, in particular students, that you'd better get your first shot by October of this date, and then you'd better get your second shot by November, approximately four weeks later, or else you'll end up getting kicked out of the school. And then, of course, in the small print, they would say, well, you can have a religious exemption or a medical exemption or whatever you want. Cramming that much poison into your body in a short amount of time or even a longer period of time is going to have an impact on your cognitive ability. Okay, so basically from a chemical standpoint alone, there's that aspect, which I, again, I don't think can be understated. It can be well hidden. People can 
can hide that very easily. But there's another angle too, which is the revelation of what the person has done to themselves and how that itself can cause an individual to take their own life. I've seen these videos again of college-age students, and they're, they're videotaping themselves with actual cognitive decline from the shots, major neurological problems, and they don't know what to do. Again, they walk into the hospitals. The hospitals give them a hard time. They can hardly enunciate their words, and they're saying to them, and, and they're basically saying again into their own phones as they're recording themselves, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. This is a living hell. So there's the short term and long term impact of the jabs that is taking its toll on what, in many cases, is already a, a somewhat fragile mind when it comes to a college or university student. Not to mention if they're further away from their family or you know, whatever their circumstances may be. There's another layer to that where if you go even a little bit lower, say, for example, the college and university student was coerced into taking these shots, they took them, and now they're stumbling across videos and audio that are and even articles that are describing what it is these shots actually are. Again, coming to the realization of what a person has done to themselves chemically regarding all of this and not doing their due diligence beforehand and being lied to and misled by their doctors and so on and so forth, that, that is enough to chemically change the serotonin and dopamine in a person's body that will end up having a massive chemical shift and chemical imbalance within them, causing rapid onset of depression. Again, we aren't in control of, of all of the different factors that lead to an individual with, uh, with chronic depression or even anxiety. But we do know that once that happens, those conditions can be very debilitating and lead to thoughts of one wanting to remove themselves from any sense of pain that they feel. And then, of course, that leads down to the road of thinking about taking one's own life and then actually doing it. These, these both hidden and visible factors are too abundant to even calculate and to really keep track of. Even, again, this article says, well, six people have died by, uh, by suicide, and they're not entirely sure as to why. The, you know, the immediate reason for their death is unknown and X, Y, Z. And again, one of them was apparently a physician who, who was a resident physician. You know, that, that in itself raises a lot of questions. A, a resident physician learning about, again, what, what maybe they've done to themselves, what they're being encouraged to do to other people regarding these shots, that's going to take a mental and emotional toll on them as well if they end up coming to that, to that truth and that realization. Of course, what we also know is that even, say, for example, if an individual were to take their own life, or even if they didn't, but it was in fact shot-induced as a result, of, again, of these, these bioweapons that people are injecting into themselves. Having, having the truth of that come out in one form or another, whether it be some kind of a suicide letter or something of that nature, the likelihood of that reaching the light of day would be slim and none. It would take really honest Parents, or you know, parents of a person who passed away, or 
honest friends of the people around them to actually work very hard to get the real message out as to their actual cause of death and what was really leading to their frame of mind. And, you know, sometimes such things can be so well hidden within an individual that it is perfectly possible that the individuals around that person who takes their own life will have no idea as to what led up to it. They too will be completely uh, blind as to what exactly happened and, and what led to their decline in their mental mind frame. But these are, these are just factors that we have got to consider. And, and I, I, I think that, again, given the, the lockdowns from the last couple of years and, and the job loss and the coercion and the bullying and the intimidation and uh, just all of the lying, all of the lying that's been taking place, all of this is going to play a massive toll and, and take a massive toll on an individual's frame of mind, which again, I, th I think is why we should expect to see more student-related suicides. And as I've said before, regarding the local university where I live, if anybody is telling you that enrollment is up within these universities or that more people are attending these universities, that is a lie. They are not. You can, you can now drive anywhere around this campus where I live and just look around and, and nothing passes the eyeball test when it comes to attendance. Absolutely nothing. But again, it makes you wonder, you know, it, it, at least it does me, it makes me wonder, what's the frame of mind of the individual that's actually attending this university? Where they know that they have to be jabbed, they have to have a medical exemption or a religious exemption. And at the exact same time, what's going on with the, you know, with the students who used to come here and don't anymore? Have they, have they chosen another university that's equally as unhealthy, but maybe closer to home? Or have they chosen a, a more healthy learning environment that doesn't have all of the lying and the coercion and the constant visual and psychological manipulation and torture that's actually taking place? And, you know, that's something that I brought up, I remember, uh, approximately a year ago, certainly last summer. There was a book that I, I believe I read a couple of passages from, if I'm not mistaken, but it was basically a POW book on how to survive being a prisoner of war. And I would just encourage individuals to think about these, these students and these young minds that are in these environments. I mean, they are prisoners of war. These, these, these quote-unquote educational facilities or educational institutions are, are prison camps, by and large. Again, they're not teaching anybody anything. Many of them still have to wear masks. Uh, there's plenty of rumors out there right now that, that they're going to manufacture yet another lockdown of sorts in the future because, again, the election is coming up for the midterms and Democrats are, you know, in the in the process of, of of losing. Certainly, more and more states are doing away with the drop boxes, so they've got to do whatever they can to limit people's movement and ability to vote. And they they've got to do whatever they have to do to scare as many people as possible. So, I know that's a lot, sort of wrapping up that particular subject. But that right there again is going to play a toll on people's mental and emotional frame of mind. Uh, it's just, it's just going to keep taking a toll and, and we need to keep an eye on it. And if you know people that are actually attending these environments, you better keep an eye on them too, because man, I, I cannot think of a more unhealthy environment right now.
than all of these places, all of these colleges, universities, and schools. They just seem all so poisonous. Um, here's the next story. And again, it, it falls, I think, perfectly in line, certainly with the jabs. They're trying to normalize again liver illness among children in both the United States and Europe. More children now have hepatitis than ever before. Again, this is shot induced. This is not, this is, we're not talking about elementary school kids going on benders. This is just straight up jab induced organ failure. And again, it's impacting every major body system and every organ within the body. So, I, I, I just don't know how they can possibly normalize this during this time. I mean, of course, their backdrop, their constant backdrop is to just blame, quote unquote, COVID. And they can say, well, it's just an unforeseen side effect of COVID. And then they'll say, well, did you take the shots? And they'll say, well, yes, but it, it can't possibly be that. When in fact, that's exactly what it is. So I don't know. It's, it, it's not going to get better with these, with these excuses. Uh, they have to they have to continue the excuses train as much as they possibly can because they're losing that narrative. Okay, now switching gears here, I do want to get into these posts here that Jesse James sent me. And again, this is directly related to the high school Democrats of America and this particular organization. And I was bouncing around their website and taking a look at a few things. And again, it's highly disturbing. I mean, they have Joe Biden on the very front page, holding hands with a female student. It, um, it couldn't be more disgusting. But here's the first picture that he sent me. And again, this is, I believe, from Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. But it says this, and again, it's got all the necessary imagery, and you, can, you know what the Democrat sign is. You know, it's the, the D with the blue circle around it, whatever else. And it says, Oxford High School. And then it says HSD with, again, the Democrat D. It says, the goal of Oxford High School, Democrats, is to ensure that like-minded and progressive students are able to explore their views as well as collaborate to enact change in our local area. And it says, affiliated with High School Democrats of America. So what they're telling you is that their high school is now aligned with this Democrat-funded organization that has direct ties to a national political party. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is more evidence of the full-blown takeover of American schools. Uh, Toward the bottom here, it also says this, and this again is from their actual Facebook page, the Oxford High School Democrats. It says, greetings. And this is from just a couple, this is from two years ago. Says greetings. It is with great honor that we introduce Oxford High School Democrats on Facebook, an organization that enables progressive high school Oxford High School students to learn more about themselves as well as take democratic action in their local area or in the local area. It's complete and utter political infiltration. There's no other way to put it. It's beyond alarming. And again, These environments do not succeed, and yet people wonder why. It's because they're not teaching anymore. They haven't been for quite some time, but they really aren't now. They are 100% activist camps that, after apparently four years of attending, they give you a piece of paper and say that you can go about your business and graduate and whatever. And I, I just don't know what skills 
they're actually providing students anymore. Now, he also sent me a second post, and this comes from the Holt Public Schools, wherever that is located specifically. But it was pushed out from the Clarkston Schools Parent Advocates Facebook group, apparently. Again, a lot of these different groups <laughs> for me tend to get kind of confusing because I'm trying to figure out exactly where it comes from and who it's specifically talking about, etc. But part of this post has been sort of cut off, but it does say this. It says, uh, while I understand that some staff something, the short notice this past Tuesday, I want to offer another uh, opportunity maybe to address your questions. It says, I will be available at 2.30 p.m. to some other time on Thursday, April 14th in the library. Also, I am willing to do something uh, regarding your personal time and have a private conversation as well and spaces and questions and ask about this, this, and this. To ask the public about their affinity spaces for our BIPOC students is something we, some, I guess, would like to explore and honor as we move forward with our equity and blah, 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 inclusive learning community. It says, below is a link I would encourage all of you to take time to understand the intent and importance of providing something. And it's a link to an article that is titled, Why People of Color Need Spaces Without White People. And then the person who wrote this is a guy by the name of Matt Morales, and he decided to put pronouns next to his name, he, him, his, which pretty much gives him away. Uh, he works for the Holt Public Schools, and his title is the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Now, I had to ask Jesse James what BIPOC was. POC's people of color. He says black indigenous. Lunatic word salad. He's absolutely right. Here, here's the, the bigger point. These individuals that are affiliated with local public schools now who are hiring directors of diversity, equity, and, and inclusion or names of that nature. These people are on the payroll. They're paying these individuals to politically and psychologically subvert all of the students and the staff who work within these environments. That's what this is all about. These are paid groups and individuals who are either useful idiots, they either have no idea what they themselves are doing, or they know exactly what they're doing, and they are doing whatever they can to perverse the entire learning environment, to keep it as far away from learning factual content and more on playing games and engaging in this racial division and, and all of this, which is purposely designed to, to divide people and perpetuate conflict within these environments that should have zero conflict whatsoever. But they have to keep the conflict going. They have to keep the division going. Because again, the puppet masters at the top know that all of this is going to lead to lowered academic success, more of a dumbing down of society. And again, these weak-minded, double-triple-jabbed individuals who, as we know, are suffering from serious cognitive decline, they are the individuals running these environments. By and large, 
And this is not a good thing. This is not going to get better. This is not going to improve. And as I said in the last podcast episode, if we examine the teacher education avenue of this for a minute, what they're going to be doing, of course, and have been doing, is they've been teaching students about groups like this, about these positions that do exist, again, where their title is Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. They're doing whatever they can to to normalize it at the teacher education level so that when teachers enter these school buildings and they and they start to hear about this same kind of lingo, it's not unfamiliar to their ear. It's uh, it's remarkably familiar. And then unfortunately, they show up and they bring their own ridiculous ideas, all of which have nothing to do with teaching their subject matter. You know, there was another story again out of Florida. It sort of fits within the exact same category and in the exact same war that is taking place regarding education here. But the state of Florida has recently had their Department of Education apparently root out at least 54 some odd textbooks that they have determined to be not good. Uh, they, they found all of these math textbooks that had to do with Common Core and these math textbooks that had to do with, again, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and Black Lives Matter, and uh, critical race theory, and, and they ended up apparently getting rid of them. That's a good thing, except you're always going to have hidden organizations like this. And again, this is Michigan, where it's, again, there's no law against any of it, so it's just going to be infiltrating every public school known to man in Michigan. But for example, down in Florida, just because it's on the books that this kind of behavior and this kind of indoctrination is now against the law and against state law, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be hidden in other avenues in other little groups or clubs or whatever it may be. And again, all, all it might end up being, and it's equally as bad, is an administrator, a radical administrator or a radical teacher starting up a club within a school that discusses this kind of stuff. And then they do whatever they can to sort of engage in all of their little militant activities where they go around the school and they put political, uh, politically energized posters up or they put stickers on drinking fountains, or they do whatever stupid little games that they play in order to get their radical messages across. But this isn't something that's going to go away. Again, when you when you drop a hammer on the on the enemy, or you start dropping bombs, what ends up happening to the individuals that are running away from the bombs? They go underground. And and even though they go underground, that doesn't mean that they that they stop scheming and meddling and trying to find another way to come back up to the surface to still deliver their message. They're still going to. They just have to consistently be rooted out. And so my larger point is this. You need to find out regarding your local school districts, again, whether you attend them or not, find out if your local school districts have these these diversity, equity, and inclusion groups. Find find out if they exist. Then find out who is on them. And then attend school board meetings and start asking why on earth these groups exist. Is it state law that is requiring these groups to exist? Is it your own political persuasions and perversions that are allowing these groups to exist if they if they exist? Are they getting paid? 
If so, how much? What is the real purpose of bringing this into school buildings, and why isn't this just relegated to some administrative decision, as opposed to having all of this outside influence come in? Again, a lot of it is rhetorical, and I, and I, I fully recommend that the individual does their homework away from the school district because the, the, you know getting the school district to tell you all of these things is not likely to happen. They're certainly not going to tell you in a school board meeting because they don't answer questions. But finding out all of this information and then at the very least maybe sending an email and and just probing them a little bit to to sort of get the names or, I mean, you could even play stupid if you wanted to. And you could say, you know what, I'm really interested in participating in, uh, in this group as a community member. And I was wondering how I could get involved. I mean, you're lying to them, but you're, you're trying to get more information from them and just see how forthright they would be uh, and upcoming they would be regarding the information that they would provide you. I, I think that's an interesting tactic, and I, and I certainly think it's something that people could try. But at the very least, you need to know whether or not these groups exist and whether or not they are actually affiliated with this High School Democrats of America organization. So here's what it says on their website, which is asdems.org. Under the About Us section, or Our Purpose, it says who we are. High School Democrats of America, HSDA, is a national political organization that serves as an entry point to democratic politics for youth activists from across the country. With two official seats on the Democratic National Committee, DNC, and a current member count of over 15,000. HSDA works at the state and local level to advance the ideals of the Democratic Party. It's Democrat Party, not Democratic Party. But see, they're hijacking words. They, they made the decision a long time ago. Let's start making it Democratic, because when they hear democracy, they'll think of us. They won't think of anybody else. It's a nice tactic, but it's not working. He continues, it says, quote, we engage fellow students to become active within the American political system, advocate within their communities, and elect democratic candidates to public office. With our vast network of resources and chapters, we aim to provide a powerful and collective voice for politically active high school students. Again, trying to, trying to militarize high school students to be little Bolsheviks. It's terrible. It says HSDA's entirely student-run and dedicated members from all walks of life have the chance to open new doors through their involvement in projects and events. Then it says what we do. Recognized as the largest and most credible democratic high school organization in the country, HSDA dedicates its time to three primary sectors of engagement. Here we go. It says informing, participating, and organizing. Currently, HSDA maintains a presence in 47 states and and territories, including the District of Columbia, as well as extending to Democrats abroad. By creating a platform for youth involvement in politics across the country, HSDA is shaping the future leaders of the Democratic Party. And yet they have the gall to say that it's completely student-led. No, it isn't. Students don't have this kind of money or organizational know-how. This is without a doubt a massive indoctrination program. They're doing whatever they can to normalize this. 
and solidify it with administrators and K-12 participation from the adults first. Then they can scoop up as many youth and as many students as humanly possible. And then again, outside funding keeps these people employed. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, your tax dollars are going to this. Because again, the people who fund this and allow this to come in from the outside into a school building or a school district are receiving funds from somewhere. Someone is getting paid in this entire process. And to affiliate with such an organization always costs money. An individual is a member of any kind of a research association. You have to pay a fee. And as most of us know, Democrats hate doing things for free. Look what most of these school districts, again, did regarding all of this federal money that they did not need for a cough that does not exist. They took all of it. They took all of the CARES Act money, they took all of the ESSER funds, and they pocketed all of it so that they could buy new windows for their schools and a new AC unit. Because, you know, new windows and a new AC unit will protect everybody from the AIDS coup. It's not the way that this works. I mean, these are train robbers. All of these people are train robbers, and if you're going to associate with train robbers, there's a percentage you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to take a little of what would be your cut and just kick it right back into the same organization that is trying to destroy you. That's exactly what is happening here. That's exactly what this organization is. So keep an eye out for the high school Democrats of America and such associations. Again, people can contact them. You can donate. They even have a shop. Again, where are they? Where are they located? Let me take a look at the map here real quick. Uh, The United States and, yes, Hawaii, of course. Lots of different schools, um, many in California, as you would expect, but my God, they have got the Midwest on lockdown. A bunch in the Cincinnati area and Columbus area, same thing with Indianapolis. They are infiltrating these major city areas first, Cleveland, Lexington, Kentucky, Let's see, St. Louis, Missouri, all throughout Philadelphia, New York City, the Atlanta area, so on and so on and so on. They're, they're everywhere. They're just everywhere. But they are in Democrat strongholds by and large, and that shouldn't shock anybody either. So certainly keep an eye out for the high school Democrats of America and whether or not your local school districts have these diversity, equity, and inclusion groups and boards. These are not people that are interested in academics. That is not the point. They are interested, again, in political infiltration, indoctrination. That is is their point. It is brainwashing, and it's terrible. As if you needed another reason to homeschool, I give you Exhibit X. That is certainly another one. Okay, leaning into the Crumbly case now. Again, same neck of the woods, so to speak, regarding Michigan and and the location of those posts that Jesse James was highlighting and all of their diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as we, of course, know, one of the Democrat schemes is to come after guns, which is exactly why the Crumbly parents are on trial. They're not on trial because they had anything to do with their son shooting up a school. They're on trial because or about to be on trial, I should say, because um, the state of Michigan wants gun owners to have radical legislation that comes on top of them that keeps them from carrying a gun or storing a gun in their home based on their own discretion. 
or whatever it may be. And then, of course, further turn American K-12 schools into the prisons that they already are, but make them even worse if they can. So this particular article comes from Detroit Free Press, and it's just a quick little update here. It says, uh, James and Jennifer Crumbly are asking a judge to lower their bond, arguing that the prosecution has unfairly portrayed them as bad parents, and that the real facts about how they raised their son and how they responded to the daily Oxford school shooting have not yet fully been disclosed. I agree 100%. Anybody who watched the preliminary hearing had to have been asking themselves serious questions as to what this is all about and what is really going on. Because as you heard me state in the past, the only people who should be in shackles right now are Ethan Crumbly for actually committing the murders. And of course, he is in shackles and behind bars uh, with no bond, I, I believe. And certainly the individuals who were employed there who did absolutely nothing. You see, those are the individuals that should be on trial, which, by the way, brings me yet to another article, which is remarkably important. And Jesse James also tossed this my way, and this had to do with parents of a of one of the dead children within that school district and within the Oxford High School who are suing, and they state that their lawsuit is the latest in a series of suits against the district, but it's the first one to allege a cover-up to avoid culpability. And I wanted to read this also, but first let me... Uh, just wrap up what, what the parents are looking for here. The Crumbly parents are looking to have their bond lowered from $500,000 to $100,000, maintaining that they had no idea that their son would allegedly carry out a school shooting. And they didn't know. There was no way that they could have known that. Um, their, their defense attorney said this, quote, even the prosecution is changing its understanding of the facts in this case and has recognized that the Crumblies may be found not guilty. Defense lawyers argued in a new court filing, adding the Crumblies are neither a public safety risk nor a flight risk, particularly if they have placed if they are placed on local house arrest status with GPS tethers. Again, this is not going to this is not going to improve for the prosecution when, when the actual trial takes place. the The prosecuting attorney, she already sounds like a lunatic. She already sounds like she's grasping at straws and trying to paint such a fallacious picture of what actually took place and what the parents actually knew. I, I think this is, this is easily one of the best defense cases that a defense lawyer could possibly have. You cannot charge parents with manslaughter because their child killed people. There's no evidence that the parents were a motivating factor in this whatsoever. Again, the child can blame the parents all they'd like. The fact is, is that the way that the law is set up is that if the individual pulled the trigger, the individual is guilty, not the, not the people around them who, again, did not know. And again, you would have to be able to draw a straight line. I'm not a lawyer. I like to pretend I am one from time to time, but you would have to draw a straight line from the parents having something in writing or some video saying, yeah, he's probably going to shoot up the school all the way to their child actually doing it. And the parents, again, not, not getting involved and not attempting to stop it. That's not been the case. It's the school environment, as I've stated on numerous occasions, that always wants these students to come back. 
They always want to groom these students and pet them and tell them everything's going to be fine. And, you know, life is hard, but don't worry, we're here for you. And your parents don't care about you, but we care about you. That's what the school environment is telling these students. When in fact, the law is supposed to be getting involved. And this is, again, is what happens when you don't get the law involved. The place gets shot up. So this particular story, again, regarding this family lawsuit comes from clickondetroit.com. And it's titled, Family of Hannah St. Juliana Files Lawsuit Against Oxford Schools. Lawsuit is the latest in a series of suits against the district, but it is the first one to allege a cover-up to avoid culpability. Says a new civil lawsuit against Oxford schools and some administrators was filed in federal court Thursday, April 14th, on behalf of the family of Hannah St. Juliana, the 14-year-old who was killed the day of the Oxford High School shooting. In a 52-page filing, attorney, uh, attorney Michael Pitt argues that the district knew the shooter was suicidal and possibly homicidal and released him back to class anyway. You see? That's what I've been saying this whole time. Yes, exactly. 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 This lawyer has his head on straight. It also says this, quote, It also contends the district claiming that its policy and practice of returning students to class, unless there is a disciplinary issue, and that the accused shooter did not meet the criteria or an attempt to cover up its culpability. Yes. Yes. They do this all of the time. You see, <laughs> this is amazing. School administrators love passing the buck on to counselors, and counselors, by nature, love trying to solve everybody's problem because to them, it, makes, it puts them on a pedestal. It gives them this professional feeling again of, I can solve everybody's problems. And again, the school doesn't want high discipline numbers. So if a dean... Of, of students or a dean of discipline hands over the issue to a counselor, it ceases being a disciplinary action and it immediately now becomes something that is, that is in the court of the counselor where the counselor can iron out the problems, quote unquote, or they can massage the issue and do whatever they have to do to make sure that the student stays in school, doesn't drop out because they don't want to lose that money and then goes back to class so they aren't an attendance issue. It's, it's just classic passing the buck, no one wanting to do their job. You know, at the risk of sounding simplistic, and you've heard me say this before, these environments are filled with some of the laziest people on the face of the planet. Just remarkably lazy. Uh, you can see it sometimes. Sometimes it has to do with their dress code. Sometimes it has to do with, again, them just not wanting to do their job. Not communicating with the people that they need to communicate with. Not getting the law involved. It's, it's, it's one example of another, of a, of a lack of professionalism that is designed to get people killed. It's designed to create a dangerous environment. Again, thank God for this lawyer. And, and doing this on behalf of this student and, and their family, no doubt about it. 
It continues here and it says, quote, we're still looking not only for answers as to what was lacking in our school safety policy, but an amended plan for moving forward so we can be proactive in the safety and well-being of both students and staff, said parent Jeff Jones. The suit alleges the district's action escalated the accused shooter's behavior. Of course it did. And even if it didn't, what it did do is it clearly showed that they weren't doing what they were contractually obligated to do because that came out when they were under oath, when the employees were under oath during the preliminary hearing. The counselor in particular, the defense lawyer again, stood up and she looked right at him and said, okay, so your contract says you have to do this. Did you do that? And he goes, uh, no, I didn't. And he, and, he's, and he said that numerous times. Uh, it continues here. And it says, it is the latest in a series of suits brought against the school district by parents. Quote, we already have to go back and relive our worst nightmares every day, said Oxford High School student Griffin Jones, uh, the son of Jeff Jones. No one's voice is being heard. There was no comment from Oxford Community Schools, but as far as the lawsuit goes, it is the latest in a series of lawsuits against the district, but is the first one to allege a cover-up to avoid culpability. They, they, they all should have. Every single lawsuit against this school district should have done that. I, you know, I don't think the prosecution's going to get away with this. Not in the slightest. And they, I mean, they might because the entire system is corrupt and why a judge would listen to any of this and the evidence that came out in the preliminary hearing and, and make the determination by themselves that yes, in fact, this needs to go to trial regarding the parents for charges of manslaughter for god's sakes it's it's uh it's beyond me but as i've said w w when they make a final determination as to when this actual trial is going to take place i'm going to do my best to cover as much of it as i can i think it's interesting i think more and more specific details are going to come out that are going to be very damning regarding the school district itself because this is just going to be a full-blown playground for the defense attorneys. They have so much information on these, on these school officials and what their, what their contracts said that they had to do and what they weren't doing. And uh, again, take into account the diversity, equity, and inclusion groups. It's a massive distraction, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a massive distraction. It's creating this degenerate playground within these environments that are having, allowing all of this infiltration from the outside in, and look what it's doing. It's breaking people. It's breaking the minds of, of these young individuals who really don't stand a chance. And there's going to be victims and victimizers, and that's just going to get worse. For, you know, for, for the safety of your own children and for the safety of, again, just everybody involved, th these entire environments just have to disintegrate. But get your children out before they do, because they're doing it with their own hand. I mean, this is self-inflicted uh, professional destruction as far as their jobs are concerned, and they have no idea what they're doing. So with all of that said, here's the final story, homeschooling, ladies and gentlemen. It is increasing, and it's not declining. This comes from WND.com, and it's titled, Homeschooling Tripled During COVID Isn't Going Back Down. Likely hundreds of thousands of students not returning to public schools. Homeschooling surged when COVID-19 hit in the United States. Many parents decided that they had to do something for their children 
that would be better than having them when schools were locked down watch a laptop screen connected to a remotely lectured union teacher. It then says, so the percentage of students in America being homeschooled before the pandemic, 3%, suddenly surged to 11%, with 4% being homeschooled only households, and another 7% with at least one child homeschooled. But now that the pandemic is declining, pandemic, funny word, uh, those numbers aren't falling. According to a new online report from Stephen Duvall, the director of research for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, it says he explained data from the U.S. Census Bureau is showing that the percent of U.S. homeschooled households has remained quite stable, even though school operations have resumed. He cited the household pulse survey started by the Census Bureau to quote gauge the impact that the pandemic was having on employment, housing, food availability, and education, unquote. It's been taken regularly since it was launched in all 50 states and in the 15 largest metropolitan areas. Homeschool is one of the topics. At 11%, those homeschooled among the 32 to 33 million U.S. households with school-aged children is, significant, is a significant number, his report said. When compared to the number of homeschool households identified by the HPS immediately prior to the onset of the pandemic, the 11% estimate indicated that over the course of the 2020-2021 school year, the percent of homeschool households had doubled or perhaps even tripled, he said. And he explained the newest data has barely dropped, perhaps down 1% since the pandemic has been in decline. Further, he explained there might not be a decrease at all. Quote, first, in some states, homeschooling is legally considered a private school option and homeschooled children are actually enrolled in a family's private school at home, he explained. Second, parents who homeschooled older children often teach them at home for much of the week but enroll them, for example, advanced math classes available through the public or private high school. In such cases, parents who take the HPS survey might think that they should not count their child as being homeschooled because their student is also enrolled in the public or private school course. The result would be that their home would not be counted as a homeschool and could lead to an undercount, unquote. Now, once you jump over to the Homeschooling Legal Defense Association or Homeschool Legal Defense Association, uh, hslda.org, Scroll down a little bit on their first news article, and you'll see a chart here, and it says growth of homeschooling. On the left side, it says the number of U.S. school-aged children being homeschooled was approximately 3% between 2007 and 2019, while all other students, 97%, were being educated elsewhere. Now, the homeschooling population is up to roughly 11%. Ladies and gentlemen, if that goes to 30%, you're going to watch a collapse of the American public school system as you know it. It'll be over. There will be nothing that they can do because, again, the homeschooling formula is a winning formula because, again, the people who do it don't return to the public school. And if they do, if, they, if, they, if you have students who say, for example, have always been homeschooled and then they decide to try out public school, 
the vast majority always end up regretting it and they always end up going back to being homeschooled. If you have individuals that were taught within the public school system and then they decide somewhere along the way that they want to homeschool, they usually, again, don't end up leaving homeschooling. They end up remaining. It's a very good reason as to why they left the public school system in the first place. But if this 11% is accurate, and again, even as was read here in the article, that could be a low number. If it goes upwards to 30% or higher, you're going to watch, again, the entire system crumble to the ground because they cannot financially stay afloat. As I've said before, it's a poor business model. It's getting worse. And the easiest way to destroy a business is with a lack of participation. If people aren't buying your product, you're going to have to close your doors. You can tax people as the day is long, but state departments of education won't allow that. If you don't have participation, they have to start firing staff members. They have to start getting rid of administrators. That's where the gutting really takes place. It takes place within first, and then, of course, they start begging for money and putting, putting levies on ballots and trying to suck up as much property tax as they possibly can. But it's a failing business model, ladies and gentlemen. In just two years, it's gone from 3% to at least 11%. Give it six more years. Keep, you know, I, I, I want these schools to keep pushing what they're pushing. Please keep pushing it. Please keep doing it. Keep pushing the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please keep uh, pushing your Democrat-funded infiltration from a political organization standpoint within these buildings. Keep doing it. Keep it up with your pedophile games and watch what happens. You will be destitute and it will be glorious. Ladies and gentlemen, with all of that said, again, I hope everybody had a great Easter weekend. The big man is back in town, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.